Hey everyone, Future David post-editing here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Um, a couple of things I just quickly wanted to mention up top. I had some problems with my audio quality this one. Something was wrong with my mic or something. And I tried my best to clean it up, but apologies in advance for the slight wonkiness in my audio. The good news is that my guest audio sounds pretty good. And most of the time, he's going to be the one speaking. Also, I'd be super grateful if you could stick around till after the interview. In particular, I've got a couple of questions for you, the listener, about where you think this podcast could go in the future. All right, that's it for now. Enjoy the podcast. I think it's a really good one. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Hello and welcome to Pay No Attention, the SFF Writers Podcast, where we step behind the curtain to talk about speculative fiction, the craft of writing and world building, and the mechanics of good storytelling. I'm your host, David Whitechapel, and I've been writing fantasy and science fiction stories for several years now. One of my ongoing projects is a fantasy adventure web serial involving angels and demons. A few years ago, while that project was in its early stages, one of my writing friends mentioned a webcomic I might enjoy which explored similar terrain. I followed the link to that webcomic and was instantly, completely absorbed into a fantastic heavy metal world full of stylish and endearing characters. That webcomic is called Kill Six Billion Demons, and I'm delighted to say its creator, Tom Parkinson Morgan, also known as Abaddon, is here with me today. Thanks for joining me for this, Tom. Hey, thanks for having me. I have like the most English name ever, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, David Whitechapel smacks pretty British as well, I think. It is. It does, actually, yeah. Yeah. I should start by saying I'm a huge fan of your work, and I've got several friends who are big fans as well. They'll be listening to this now. Um, So I'm really excited to have the opportunity to interview you personally. Yeah, sweet. No problem. Okay, so I should also say the premise of the podcast is looking behind the curtain. So uh, to all listening, I'm going to ask questions about and reference the comic, Kill Six Billion Demons, spoilers and all. So be warned, if you haven't read it yet, or you're not up to date with it, first of all, what are you doing? Go and read it now. It's free, it's online, go and read it, and it's a great time. You can find it at kill6billiondemons.com, and it's well, well, well worth your time. After you've caught up, come back and listen to this behind-the-scenes conversation. Yeah. You'd probably get really confused if, if, you, if you haven't read any of it first. <laughs> yeah, I've got some particularly obscure questions at the end. Oh, actually. good, good, excellent. <laughs> Tom, uh, congratulations on reading what I believe is the fifth and final book in the Kill Six Billion Demon Saga. Yeah, it is the last one. Now that's a bit that's a bit um, deceptive because this final book will probably be as long as like two of the previous books put together at this point. I think mm-hmm. um, in print it may end up being uh, two books, but uh, but like conceptually, it's the last book. <laughs> Right. And actually, so that's my first question. I mean, did you always have a plan for how many books the story would be and what shape it would take in the end? Like, how far in advance do you plan typically? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. So, so uh, I have a outline of everything, right? And I've had it for years. <laughs> like, like, it's very weird uh, writing such a long form project as this because you're, you're starting and working on work that you planned for eight to ten years ago right and you're still working on it 
Uh, so, uh, so like back in like 2014 or 2013 or something, I wrote the whole outline for the series because I had a very clear idea of like where it was going. Um, I don't, I don't know how you are, but like I, I can't write to anything unless I know how it ends. Are you, are you similar to, to that? Like, do you have a similar like? You know what? Well, yeah, I also can dream up an outline in a matter of hours, like a really right. big one, like you know, far into the future kind of thing. And um, right. yeah, I like to know big picture stuff as soon as possible for sure. Some people write like moment to moment and, and they write to, um, you know, to like what's happening with the characters and they kind mm -hmm. of let things carry the story forward. Like I think George R. R. Martin writes like that, but, but like, I can't, I can't like write unless I know exactly where everything is going because to me, that's how you have to pace and like structure everything. So if you know your conclusion, uh, it'll shape the rest of the comic, right? Like wh where you're going and where you're ending up. Um, and so you can figure out how to get there, but I got to know where, where my destination is first, right? So, so I wrote like the sort of general outline of the comic a long time ago. And it's not very detailed, <laughs> right? It'll be like, oh, this thing happens and this thing happens and then this thing happens and here's the sort of rough theme of the story arc and here's what we're exploring in this book or whatever. It's like very sequential and very sort of just like plot A to B to C sort of thing. But uh, I didn't really fill the details in, which which I'm happy for, because then I've gone on, you know, I've gone and like elaborated a lot on that and, and made everything uh, a lot more fleshed out as the comic has gone on, which has allowed me more creative freedom, you know, freedom to not be tied to my decisions I made eight years ago, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when it goes like when I'm actually writing the, a book of the comic, I'm always viewing it as like an arc per book. And then I'm writing to the end of that arc. And then in the middle of it, I have like events that happen, but I don't really plot specific scenes or pages too far ahead. I maybe plot like five, five to 10 pages out basically. And not in great detail. And I don't actually even write dialogue for them typically until I'm really drilling down in them or if it's a very dialogue heavy page. Um, so, like, there's no dialogue written for the rest of the comic right now. The rest of book five, I got nothing written for it other than the outline. I sort of just know where things go. And then if I have, like, ideas or cool, cool like, conceptions of scenes that are coming up or, or moments or, like, impressions that I want the audience to have or important lines or whatever, I'll write those out, like, yeah, like five to ten pages before they actually crop up in the comic. <laughs> right. Um... And get get and like you know like fill them out more. But I find working that way is cool because I know where I'm going, so the comic feels cohesive. But I also have the freedom to improvise within the outline that I've like set for myself. Uh, some people are really thorough about their outlines, and they write like really like everything out in great detail, and then they kind of just make it. But I I I would probably find that really constrictive personally. <laughs> like like I really want to be able to 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 change things around and improvise based on what I'm actually doing at the time, like how I'm feeling at the time, because there's such a long project that it might be like, like I started book five, like earlier this, this year, maybe, or last, late last year. I don't really remember. So I've been on this one fight scene, for example, for months, <laughs> like they've just been beating each other for months. Like, like just, just this huge fight scene at the end of the Dragon story. Ball Z style, right? Dragon Ball Z style. And it's like, 60 
seven pages long at this point or something ridiculous. Um, and, and it's deserved, right? It needs to be that long, but like you have to give yourself room to like be flexible. Uh, otherwise, you're going to go crazy. At least that's how I feel. <laughs> Sorry if that was a, a long answer, but <laughs> no, no, I, totally. I, I, and I, it resonates with me. I mean, I'm, I'm similar. I, I outline and, but I, I want to leave the flexibility to, you know, really take advantage of new ideas and and yeah. improvisations because sometimes you, you just, you know, as you're writing something or in your case, drawing or you know, developing something, you have you just figure out this thing that fits so perfectly, and you don't want right. to not be allowed to include something like that, right? Right, totally, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I understand to some degree why people who work on really long-form projects, like, get get demotivated by them or get distracted or don't really care about them anymore or whatever. Like, like to use, you know, George, Mr. Mr. George, who's, like, you know, very well-known. The guy's been writing Game of Thrones, I think, in some form or another since, like, 1996 or something. So... He's been at this shit for like twenty five years or something, and it's the same projects, right? Yeah. And inevitably, like, I don't think I would think anything I wrote twenty five years ago was very good, right? Or, or like, or like incorporates anything I've like learned as a person in that time, or, or you know, you know, pe- people change over the course of their lives, and you get interested in other stuff, and so, you know, being tied to something that you from a decade ago laid out for you is very restrictive <laughs> at times. Yeah, it's like wearing old clothes or something. Being yeah. forced to wear old clothes for a long, long time. Right, yeah. It's like, I've got to wear the same pair of jeans for like eight years, and they're really raggedy at this point, but like <laughs> everyone loves those jeans, so I guess I better yeah. keep wearing <laughs> Well, like... that is something that can happen, isn't it? I mean, you know, play your greatest hits or whatever. Right, right. So I think you you really have to leave yourself room to uh to to like allow allow future you to to breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally see that. Okay, I've got some more questions about this outline because that was fascinating. Um, oh, yeah. Is this a written document? Is it uh, digital? Like what what, how, what what sort of shape does this outline take? Yeah. So, whenever I write for anything, people may be surprised to learn. Probably not. Um. I either write it in. I have the. I have a bunch of like moleskin notebooks, and so I just, I just write in them whenever I was inspired. And I used to do this a lot more when I was uh, younger, and also when I lived in Japan, I would, I would do it because um, I we all did it in like planes and stuff too. I, I lived in Japan for two years teaching English, and mm-hmm. a lot of my writing was done there because I had lots of downtime at work. <laughs> right. Um, so if you're if you're writing in a notebook or something or whatever, you you can look like you're busy. Um, <laughs> And uh, and it, and it can it, it can help. Um, or writing like the long plane flights. Like sometimes uh, when I fly home from Japan, it would be like twenty twenty six hours of travel or something ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. And so you know you, you'd take like a fourteen hour plane flight to to Hong Kong, and then you take another six hours to Japan or whatever, and you know you lay over time in between, and it's just nightmarish. <laughs> anyway, but um, I, I would get a lot a lot of writing done sometimes on those. Uh, that was the time when I was sort of writing out the plot for KSP, so I did a lot of that. I used yeah. to write more, yeah, physically. But now nowadays, when I write, I open, I, I just open up a text document. Like I don't even open up like Word or anything. I, I have like um, I use like Notepad on uh, <laughs> on my uh, desktop, 
Uh, I just don't, I hate I hate fiddling with formatting before I, like I want to do anything with it. Like even my RPG work, I write um, a couple RPGs, and that's all written in text TXT form <laughs> before nice, I yeah, do anything yeah. with it. Okay. Yeah. And so, is it just like will an outline just be like a long list of ideas and events? Yeah, it's 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 like an A to B to C kind of thing. Like the outline, if you if you've read the first book, the first book is kind of exceptional because that the, the first book was like. I, I was just starting a project off, and so I didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't really confident as a writer, so I was just like, I was like, let me just throw some shit at the wall. <laughs> uh-huh. I think the first book's like, it's very inventive and creative, I think it draws a lot of people in, but tonally and like plot-wise, it's kind of a mess. And so like, that's sort of an, an exception. The second book was sort of written intending to be part of the first book, but I think if I put them all together, that it would have been quite long so they eventually got split up into two sort of separate arcs like one right. is like the sort of intro to the series and so like so like the outline for the first two books was like uh you know we meet our main character um we sort of sort of introduced to her deal like the core problem gets introduced like her 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 boyfriend gets kidnapped and taken into like another dimension and then she you know she meets all the the other supporting characters and then they go to the the palace of this um sort of you know evil queen and try to deal with her and so like so like all the scenes there were kind of mapped out it was like uh it was like you know allison shows up and then she's at this like crazy market and then she meets the the angel who's there and then they hang out and the angel's like hey what are you doing here and then you know it would be like it would be like a very like a to b to c this scene happens this scene happens this scene happens. but like specific dialogue wasn't really written out um as much uh and and uh, it always knew where it was going. So, like, book one was always going to end with Allison returning to Earth and then deciding to go back to, you know, re-enter the adventure voluntarily. And then book two was always going to end with um, everyone leaving from uh, the palace as they're kind of, you know, more of a sort of cohesive group. Um so that was kind of the that was kind of the idea. Uh, so everything's written like that. It's, it's all very like outline esque, mechanical, little dialogue. Sometimes if there's like a, a big scene or something or some dialogue that really sticks in my head, I, I write it down. But typically, it's all kind of just I just sort of think about it a lot, and I I walk a lot and think about the outlines of my stories a lot. So I don't really need to refer to it ever. It's just sometimes I'll forget cool ideas I have or. I'll try and write them down to like solidify them in my memory. So there's yeah, lots of like just yeah. random notes and shit written on. <laughs> That's often the case, isn't it? Like you write something down and you don't need to have it written down. Yeah, but, yeah, totally. But yeah. you needed to write it down to remember it, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. And and so we talked about the um, you know the joy and the necess- necessity of being able to incorporate new inventive stuff. Uh, how often do you find yourself doing that? Oh, fairly often. I mean, uh, book five, for example, the outline of it was very, very sparse. So book book five, uh, to spoil what's currently going on, it's a big fight, right, with all the main antagonists of the comic. Like the book five's outline was like that fight happens, and then <laughs> and then uh, there's a pause, and then uh, then another thing happens. Yeah, you maybe stuff and, you don't want to spoil. Then, <laughs> right, right. So maybe I can't talk about that's a bad example, maybe. But but like it was like that fight happens, and then like the ending of the comic happens. Like that was literally the outline. And I didn't know how I was going to get to the end of the comic from the end of this fight. So actually, like, the stuff I wrote for book five is quite recent. It's stuff I wrote the outline for, like, two years ago. 
um, instead of eight, right? Because I was like, oh, I need to elaborate on this more. I'm finally here in my outline point, and like, there's not enough fleshed out here. I like need to need to add more. So I do it all the time, all the time. Yeah. Cool. Okay, I want to take a step back and talk about origin stories. Uh, I'm always interested in where people's ideas and inspirations come from and how they started out. And I did a little digging around the origins of Kill Six Billion Demons. And mm. from what I read online, I believe it started out or something started out um, in a thread on the old MS Paint Adventures forums. That's right. Yeah, it did. Uh, right. Well, so <laughs> that website. Yeah. Yeah, it's gone now. <laughs> <Yeah>. God. <laughs> I just think it's funny. I mean, uh, just the whole way. I mean, let's not talk about Homestuck, but... Uh... <laughs> I I actually I actually like Problem Sleuth quite a bit um, back in the day. I, I uh, if you guys if you're listening in right now, you don't know what Problem Sleuth is. It was like an interactive sort of webcomic fiction thing um, that was a precursor to Homestuck. If you if you're not aware of Homestuck, um, maybe just Google it. <laughs> yeah, this is a whole like uh, you know it's a whole, whole thing. Yeah, thing separate of its podcast own. topic. Yeah. It's a separate. Yeah, it's, <laughs> we could go on for a long time about that, but. The MS Paint Adventure forums were were the kind of home for that kind of thing, and, right. and you started off some kind of narrative there yourself. Y- yeah, so I, I really liked uh, how interactive um, the, those things were, because um, what they did was that that Andrew Hussey, the guy, the author, would actually um, have uh, a suggestion box, and you could put in suggestions for the comic. It was written out like an old uh, adventure game, like text adventure game. Mm-hmm. Or like a you know 1990s like Lucas Arts adventure game. That's kind of how it was written, and you could actually put suggestions in, and then the suggestions would actually play out in the comics. So it had a lot of audience input. Um, so I I really loved that, and I thought it was really cool and unique and something you couldn't do outside of the web format. Actually, uh, Problem Sleuth and Homestuck did a lot more with that format, um, which was pretty revolutionary for the time. Like adding animation and uh, like f- flash components and like interactive components and stuff uh to the comic which again like you couldn't do in, the, in a print comic like it's unique to to the web so there was like some really cool stuff playing with the sort of form of of the genre uh which i love so i was like okay i'm gonna do one of these so i so i and i at the time like i'm sure i'm sure you know david how hard it is to to start any work right <laughs> yeah of course right like you have that like blank page syndrome like you have all these ideas and you don't have any, you have no way you can tell how to start anything because you don't have the skills to do it. Right? Yes. You start like, out not having skills. And also you, you need a lot of self-belief, I think, to really put a story out there. Right. Yeah. And you, you, need, you need discipline and you need, you need like the ability to push through a lot of pain. And also you need mm-hmm. to have the skills to actually produce work. Like I wasn't a very confident artist back yeah. in the day. And and I couldn't draw a lot of shit. Like I really, I really like you go look at some of the earlier uh, KSPD stuff, and it's very rough because I hadn't had as much experience doing comics as I have nowadays. Um, and uh, I was just trying to start something, and I thought like having audience engagement would would probably be the best way because then people are reading your your stuff right in there. They're following you, and they're bothering you if you don't update. <laughs> so I was like. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll start something here, and I did a little forum adventure thing, and it was good because it just got me to make work on a schedule, right? And 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 like get used to that. And the original story had like nothing to do with the current one, uh, really. Um, but uh, but I just I just like it got me to produce things, and it got me to like 
get used to making making stuff on a regular schedule and and uh get into the rhythm of of like making work like that and so that was really good for me and um eventually I kind of got over those barriers and was able to start the webcomic up um shortly afterwards uh and that's sort of where where it started was me just like trying to get my work online you know for free just to get it out there for people to look at that was really all I the goals I had with it um just to improve because I wanted to put finished work out there that was my that was my goal. I never, I never anticipated getting published. <laughs> like that happens near the end of book one, while I was still in Japan, actually, because I had like ninety something pages out at that point, and um, Image Comics actually reached out to me uh, to ask if I wanted to publish it because uh, someone had passed the comic off to them, uh, and they'll they'll publish pretty much any indie comic that's been completed or is nearing completion. Um, so. Uh, that ended up happening and turned into a whole career for me. But at the time, I, I didn't anticipate that at all. I, just, I was just like, oh, I just want to finish shit. <laughs> I want to put it online. I want to get some of the story out. Uh, and so in that degree, I was actually successful initially in just, just getting it out of me, you know? So so how much of the DNA of what is now the webcomic was there in that early uh, form? Oh, uh, basically zero. Right. <laughs> but but it was just, it was just pr- good practice for for getting work out there, just just to see what it looked like. What was the transition like? Were you like, okay, I'm going to take some of these ideas and I'm going to really make a story out of it? Or did you have the story idea and then you were like, oh, this is not just a forum adventure anymore. This is something else. Oh, um, I had the story. Yeah, it was it was the latter. I, I definitely was like, this is more of a long-form webcomic kind of thing I need to do. Um, I, was, uh, I was definitely feeling like I... It was more of a story I wanted to tell in that in that format rather than doing like a user driven forum adventure kind of thing. Um, Interesting. I, have a, yeah. I did occasionally. I kept some of that though. So I, I did actually keep. I kept things open. So, so I mean, I haven't done it in forever, but every book I've done some kind of contest or something. Uh, like all the uh, the demon criminals from book three were actually fan designed. Right. Right. I remember looking through that, yeah. Yeah, like we had like a design an outfit for Allison contest. Uh, one of her outfits actually was fan designed also. I don't remember which one now. <laughs> um, like just, just like stuff like that. Like I, So I, in a I, way that harkens back to its its roots a little bit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I, I did something similar. Of course, I'm nowhere near where you are now. I, I'd, I'd love to be. But uh, I originally, the long-form um, web serial project that I'm working on now, uh, that I'm still working on now, it started out, I just wanted to, I was writing other stuff, and I wanted to just have something out there and, you know, available and, and put out stuff on a deadline. And um, so I started publishing something on Wattpad, and it was just completely uh, invented um, on the fly, like just yeah. random stuff. And then... As I kept inventing more random stuff, uh, the world sort of grew and I was like, oh, this isn't where this belongs at all. So then I had to withdraw and think about what this project was and, and sort of recalibrate. So I, I kind of identify with that experience. Yeah, totally. It's, it's like you kind of have to discover your work before you can finish it, you know. Um, that's what I think. Some people are like... Some people are like, oh, I have all these ideas and I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm like, no, you don't. Not until you start it. <laughs> yeah, because you, you don't really know the, the the actual process of creative work is quite different than what it what you'd imagine it, it is. to be. Yeah, actually, I, I'm a big believer that, um, that the process is actually an important component of any creative work, right? Mm. Uh, pe- people always like think about, like, especially in uh, different 
works like um, film or or TV or whatever. They're always good. Like, oh, why didn't they do this? So why was this decision made? Or why was that decision made? Or whatever. Yeah. Like, why do they why do they film like three scenes in a diner? And then you're like, well, because they only have budget for like <laughs> a certain amount of time to shoot in this one you know hallway they said they had, and that like you know informs the form of the movie. And like so much of like film, for example, is a product of like the tools and the manpower and like the actual like tool things you have on hand right and the restrictions right the restrictions yeah and 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 with comics uh, you know and writing it's pretty much like how do you how do you like test the limits of your ability while still updating on a sane schedule (laughs) yeah yeah um and uh and keeping things engaging you know like uh because you're all human beings and so like that, that that like imperfection created by the production process is i would argue like as important as any idea you have um to yeah. be honest ideas are worthless man i have totally worthless like, not worth anything i mean everyone has ideas it's like the actual it's the creative process of like producing work that is actually worth something yeah i 100 percent agree yeah yeah as opposed to there being some kind of machine that you just feed an idea into and it creates a story like yeah. the whole the whole beauty of these things or the whole um kind of what makes it special is that it's a person it's an individual filtering all this stuff or a group and their particular sort of worldview and everything seeps into it totally yeah 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 but it, but more than that like it, it's just like you know the the way that i am writing and drawing components of my comic right now is informed by me having x number of hours to draw a week yeah. without feeling like i'm going crazy <laughs> right, right. i'm like well i could draw something like insanely complicated and like really detailed and stuff like like i want i want to so bad draw like certain scenes out in like in like tremendous detail but i also have to update my comic and i have to also like see my wife and like respect yeah. that i'm a human being you know? <laughs> yeah it's, it's like, an interesting balance for sure yeah a lot of people who read uh or, or like engage with creative works though i don't think think about this a lot like they they always like just see the final products and they don't really see the kind of components that go into it. Oh yeah. I always think this is one of the sad things for, I mean, it's a good and a bad thing, but for artists like yourself, like the time it takes to draw a really, really detailed panel uh, can be enormous. And the time it takes to look at it is a millisecond, uh-huh. right? Like, like it's just yeah, a fl- yeah. blinking and miss it. And I can imagine there are people 30 reading seconds. Your, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there are people reading your comic who probably, they just fly through the pages, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, I have the converse problem too, where, um, some people, because I update weekly, uh, one page at a time, I have this issue where, uh, it's, it's, uh, people staring at one page forever and hyper analyzing it when <laughs> when like in right. in reality when you read that all together as the comic is meant to be read you'll look at that page for about like 25 seconds and then you move yeah. on with your life <laughs> you know yeah yeah you're right you do have a bit of both right yeah that's interesting mm-hmm. yeah okay speaking of the art uh i think uh your art's very beautiful and, and very stylized as well um thank you I know you have a post about this online, but perhaps you could tell us here, who are your artistic inspirations? Oh, um, well, the number one is uh, Mobius. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know who Mobius is, uh, he's uh, John Girard. He's a French comic artist. He's probably, I would say, probably one of the most influential comic artists ever. Um, like, one of the gods of comics, along with, like, uh, Kirby... Uh, you know, Tezuka, all those guys. Um, 
like uh, Shigeru Mizuki, just like dudes who like are kind of foundational or like fundamental. Like they they create something that people like have found an entire like school of comics around, right? So like there's a whole school of people like me who just like people who read a lot of Mobius and like Euro comics growing up or or like in their formative years and they were like this shit's really cool. <laughs> um but yeah. I like weird fantasy stuff. I like I like um I like fantasy that's fantastical and strange and uh has a lot of mystery to it. So I really like a lot of European comics to do that. Uh Mobius's work. A lot of like eighties fantasy comics. Um Fucking love uh, Wayne Barlow does a bunch of weird paintings of like hell, um, where he's just got this very unique kind of style. It's very uh, almost like medieval surrealist. A uh, little bit of Hieronymus Bosch in there that he mm-hmm. does, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I like surrealism. I like uh, I like a lot of video games stuff. I think like the art styles of a lot of video games are pretty inspirational. Like the the dudes who do all the work for the Dark Souls series. Like yeah, I love that yeah. shit. Um, people who work on uh like i know like, I, I like i like strong evocative art um especially fantasy art i mean i'm trying to think about like who else artistically like artistically i have inspiration i also have like inspirations like like comic wise mm-hmm. um like i really uh i love battle angel alita yeah uh yuki yukita kishiro right he, he did it. He, he's working that shit for like 20 years and like his creativity, it, it's it's kind of schlocky, right? But it's exactly my kind of schlock. Like it's, yeah. it's super creative. It has its own like sort of interconnected world. that's like really, really interesting. And uh, the the fight scenes are like A plus. So I'm like super into that. I, also, I know I like Berserk. Oh yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Um, yeah. R.I.P. Mira. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love Berserk. Yeah. I like a lot of like religious arts. Um okay, yeah. pretty pretty heavily influenced by a lot of like Christian and like Hindu religious art. I think it's pretty tight. Um yeah. I don't know. Like I, I I tend to prefer like the the manga like storytelling style over right. the Western style. What do you mean by that? So there's a there's a difference between uh manga artists and how ma- like manga or like um Western sorry, uh, Eastern comic artists um, typically write stories as opposed to Western comics tradition. Like the the sort of like big comic tradition in, in like the US uh is uh very like pulled out, very action focused and very like cinematic. And uh especially recently. Um so it's very like it's not a lot of like internal focus on the internal landscapes of the characters it's very much about like external action and dialogue and spectacle and stuff and uh the the like sort of japanese tradition is much more focused on on like internal the internal life of the characters like their emotions their their like emotional arcs um like whenever there's a shonen fight for example think about like if you, like any shonen anime you've watched right uh like it's it's never about 
the actual action that's going on. It's about some like internal conflict of the main character or a villain or something, right? It's really, it's really like a dialogue that the villain and the main character are having about some like issue that the main character is struggling with or something. And like that, that is more interesting to me innately than like Batman has to stop this bomb because it's <laughs> gonna explode. <laughs> I don't know, like. Uh, there's a lot more of that in in like in like the sort of uh, big two comic tradition, um, or, or it's or it's a little more like pulled out, a little more dialogue heavy, um, a little less focused on the art in uh, in Western comics, which I've never really been into. Right. Uh, and the reason I like Euro comics a lot, like Mobius and stuff, is because they're f- they're really focused on letting the art tell the story um, rather than like trying to st- stick to some strict very uh, sort of uh, dialogue-focused mechanical story, which is what a lot of Western comics do. Not to say that's bad. There's, like, some pretty good Western stuff out there. Yeah. Um, but I tend to like the stuff that leans to be a little bit more abstract or a little bit more art-focused art or, you know, like, like Mike Mignola, I really like, right? Right, like, right. Um, even though he's drawing from that, like, sort of, like, pulp comics tradition, like... He he keeps his stuff very art heavy and like dialogue sparse and uh, very tonally strong. Right, I love that shit. But it's way more prevalent in in manga. So I think a lot of artists like me, uh, my, like my generation, are like very similar. <laughs> to be honest, how so? I think a lot of people have grown up like consuming anime and and manga. Yeah, and and video games, which are very influenced by anime and manga, and just kind of prefer that that style of storytelling. Right, right. And there's more of a sort of cocktail of influences there now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Shonen fan myself, so I totally get what you're saying about um, the fight really being kind of a coded emotional conflict. Yeah, uh, right, Which is something right. I love about it, yeah. And, yeah, um, we're, yeah. Western comics tend to be like, the fight, it, it, like, the action is like pretty, it's not, it's not like super involved in Western comics. Like action pages in Western comics are like one, one or two panels and, you know, and uh, they order some sequence. They're very plot heavy, you know. They're very like story heavy. I think this is partly because the way they're produced a lot of the time mm-hmm. is uh, very studio focused, and it's very. Ru- they usually have a writer, right? It's usually not single artist projects. It's like there's a writer for it, and there's uh, artists, and you know, ten other people who who are working on this thing. Um, so uh, that's always um, that's always like how how I view that stuff. So it tends to be a little more like. I mean, I mean. Like, I don't. I don't read a lot, so maybe I can't use any good examples. But like, if you think <laughs> about something like that's like a pretty, pretty like emblematic of the genre. You can think about like uh, the Sandman, right? Yeah. Or like uh, any of those other like sort of eighties comics that were like really popular, like uh, like Watchmen or um, Dark Knight Returns. Like they're all they're all great comics. They're also like they're like they're very like dialogue and plot heavy. Yeah. Everything's pulled out. We don't get any close-ups of characters and their sort of, you know, emotional spaces and stuff. Sure. Yeah, you don't really dwell with them in that way. Yeah, it it, it comes out through the through the the dialogue and the interactions at like a bigger level mm-hmm. between them. Like you're watching a movie or something. You know, it's like very cinematic. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's really interesting. Sorry, I feel like I'm, I'm digressing in like a weird. <laughs> no, no, uh, that's fine. I. It's very interesting. I. I feel like. We could uh, talk about that for the rest of the podcast. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will digress. But um, yeah, so speaking of, uh, you know, art versus um, uh, sort of writing style, 
there's many things I love about your comic, and one of them is the narrative and scriptural sides that accompany the main panel work. Um, oh yeah. Sometimes they're passages from fictitious scriptures or <laughs> they're in-world mythological stories. Uh, where did the inspiration come for these and how do you go about writing them? Is there like a big backlog of these or do you write them as you go? I love mythology and uh, I find religious scripture to be pretty interesting, like structurally. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I mostly just love mythology. <laughs> and so like there's an there's an universe religion and like the, the, the comic has a sort of quasi-religious overtone to it um so i just started to write these little side stories these fables basically or, or parables or whatever as as a way to sort of add additional shading onto the action that was going on in the comics so it's not strictly necessary to like read the under comic stuff but i had this comment section and um i used to read a, a fantasy author called uh, tad williams do you, do you know uh yeah you know i haven't him? read it yeah. but yes um, so, so he had a series called uh, Shadow March or whatever it is, and and a bunch of, and a few other series. And what he would do at the start of every chapter um, is he would uh, put little introductory texts um, in front of uh, his chapter heading that would like snippets of lore and stuff from the world. I think yeah. Brandon Sanderson does this too. Yeah, he does. Actually. It's it's somewhat of a it's a you know a few authors do it. It's it's a yeah. sort of neat fantasy world building technique. It's kind of this thing, yeah. And, and and I really I really liked that. So I was trying to do that with my comic, but then I would just like sometimes write whole stories down there. Yeah. When whenever I'd have like an, a a kernel of like an idea or something to write about, that's that's when I would write something under there um if i like a strong idea that i didn't necessarily have time to explore in the comic but i would just like write something underneath there that was kind of the idea so is that so initially were you just going to you know add little things and then it sort of grew into larger sort of quotations yeah more or less yeah i, I mean I, I was like oh this has to be a whole story and then i like wrote a whole story <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it happened a couple of times i haven't written one in a while uh, mostly because i just haven't had time i've been trying to work on other stuff but uh I've really enjoyed it. Some people have told me they, they enjoy that uh, stuff more than the comic, which is, you know, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I, I think it's it's an excellent, like, accompaniment. It's, it feels like um, secret knowledge or something. So it's yeah. such a nice pair like that. Have you, have you read Watchmen? Yes. Watchmen has this, like, comic in a comic thing um, where you're following the sort of uh, Black Freighter comic story. Yeah. Um, and I, I would argue without that... Um, Without that story within the story, the authorial intent with regards to the motivations of like the main villain and what, what the whole story wants to actually say about the ending of that comic is totally unclear. And it's completely clear if you're if you're reading the interlude comic stuff. Mm -hmm. He he added it in as as a way to like talk about <laughs> the stuff that was going on in the main storyline of the actual comic. It's actually essential to understand the the intention of the ending. Um when they made the movie uh, version of that, oh God, the Zack Snyder watch movie, like they totally cut that out. Yeah, which completely misses the point. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I, I like stuff that that you know helps you with your reading of the the main work. I enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, something it reminded me of, but maybe you may or may not be familiar with, but um, Susanna Clarke is a fantasy novelist. She wrote Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell. You heard I of this? Heard of it. No, no. Okay, well, it's one of my favorite fantasy novels of all time, actually. And she uses oh, nice. these um, these footnotes in it from this kind of slightly sardonic, cynical narrator talking about like wider world things, and gradually she reveals this sort of 
hidden backstory and that kind of reminds me of your in your comic you have these you know this these tales about the gods from you know before eons past and um yeah there's this sort of secret second story there oh right yeah yeah that kind of reminds me how like brandon sanderson's got like all his books are in the same universe and they're all interlinked and stuff and uh, yeah, and yeah, there's like some others. Yeah, I, I like I, I try to make it so that you don't have to read any of the sites stuff to understand my comic because a lot of it's not even in the print editions, right? So, not none of it's necessary. It's just yes, fun to, it's del- to delve into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the comic uh, as a whole, I would say, is underwritten by this sort of cosmic feeling of wonder, and it's framed with this polytheistic cosmology with this you know mythic religious origin of the world and. And the god Yisun, right? Uh, as we yeah. talked about. Um, I can see a lot of influences in, in there myself. There's sort of Western esoterica tradition and Buddhist Zoroastrian and Hindu mythology. And then there's also, there seems to be things that are similar to the abstruse sort of lore of Morrowind. And, oh, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of those, yeah. <laughs> and within the action and character designs, I can see references to sort of anime and manga like uh, Dragon Ball Z uh-huh. or something. Um, have these always been interests of yours, you know, mythology and these various uh, influences? And how did uh, all of these develop into the specific sort of mythic pantheon we end up seeing in the comic? Yeah. So, okay. So, like, I, I, um, I was like living, like I said, I was living in Japan for two years. I was around a lot of um, Shinto Buddhism at the time. And uh, I ended up reading a lot of stuff about Shinto Buddhism. And was was like interested in it. Um, one one of the things that I've always uh, I've always like thought about with with a lot of religions is um, the end state of most religions. In in like not to offend anybody, but like so so disclaimer. I'm I, I'm I'm a pretty hard atheist, right? Um, yeah. And so that's 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 also like very a big influence on the comic, right? Uh, I I thought a lot about about religion i i find it fascinating i I think religion is an important cultural thing and like it's where a lot of people find community and so i'm not about to like be one of those like you know tips my fedora i am enlightened (laughs) in my rationality kind of you know kind of dudes like it would be amazing if that was the end of the comic a big fedora (laughs) no i don't i don't care you know that's the point that's the definition of atheism is just don't you you know you're like i'm pretty sure i yeah don't mm-hmm. believe in that stuff like it's an absence it's not it's not it's not a, it's not a belief system um the end state of a lot of religions in hard readings of religious texts is is like this very like pure state of 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 like happiness and um even in buddhism in theravadic buddhism right like that you you know you reach some state of nirvana and uh you're in like a, a perfect state of of mindlessness um, and, and thoughtlessness, basically, where you can exist without suffering. Um, and so, you know, and if you if you believe in Christianity, you believe you may eventually go to heaven, and then you'll be you know happy forever, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, a lot of times when I was <laughs> following a lot of religions, this this doesn't seem like a great idea to me. <laughs> like, like inevitably, um, a lot of these like sort of end states, end goals of religions, it's it's kind of like an end of time sort of thing, right? It's kind of like a, a, a it's kind of like another form of death because it, it it's sort of stagnation, like nothing's happening anymore. And if you really are living forever, I mean the the sum the sum of your entire existence will eventually equal zero because nothing new will happen in your life. 
because your life is forever. I mean, you can do some math with that, right? Um, and and you know, I think I think a lot of meaning that we derive from life as human beings comes from the fact that our lives are, are limited, and we have limited time, and there's an end, right? And uh, and also that you know, the, in the world in general, things just sort of change and end. Um, something that Buddhism is, Buddhism is very deeply about. Um, you know the the fact that like pe- people try to cling on to permanence when when nothing is uh, at all by definition everything just shifts and changes over time uh, and so you know I'm I'm somewhat of a uh, in a very old sense vaguely stoic <laughs> sort of an existentialist right it's kind of kind of mm-hmm. you had to pin me as any kind of belief um, and uh, and so. Uh, the religious text and the religion in my comic is sort of a, a very deeply existentialist religion. Um, it's not about like stagnation. It's not about um, some kind of perfect state. It's about taking action. And the key component, the key like founding mythology in in uh, in in the religion in the comic is um, I forgot the name of my own religion. Now. <laughs> I was like, shit. I was trying to think about it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's 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 like uh, Atru, that's what it's called, which I think is an actual. I think it's a Norse religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it it uh it's the, the the core like creation myth is that all the gods kill themselves, mm-hmm. uh, because because they wanted to have Im- imbue meaning into into everything, and they're not, and also like the acceptance of paradox, right. Something that I think is quite absent from from life. I'm a, I'm a huge. Oh, here, here's a, here's a big influence on me. Kurt Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. Kurt Vonnegut's probably like one of my favorite authors, um, hands down. Uh, love Kurt Vonnegut. I've read a shit ton of his books. I've read all of them. I'm still need to read um, Breakfast of Champions. Um, and uh, I love his writing. Um, and one of the things he likes to examine is how absurd existence is. Basically, uh, and I think I think people run into a lot of paradox in everyday life, and some people want to be very black and white about certain ideas or concepts, or hold on to certain things that 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 they because it's it's good for you to have like fundamental things that you believe are, are true in your life, right? But life is also very absurd, and the universe is absurd. And if you're if you're someone who's a str- very strong materialist like me, you know. You, you're basically someone who's like, well, you know, it's all chaos. <laughs> like, like meaning that we impose on life is is basically human created, and and you know, we're just in a big soup of atoms that happens to have physical laws, and you know. But at the same time, you can still enjoy life and enjoy things that give you meaning. It doesn't doesn't not one does not preclude the other, right? If you if you if you know that you're going to die eventually, and uh, and life is uh, ultimately completely pointless which which is true in my view um it doesn't preclude the things that you find important in your life because you have limited amounts of time and and everything is precious to you because the life that you have is the only one you're ever going to (laughs) have right um so uh so so paradox exists in like every aspect of 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 people's lives i think i think a lot of people try to ignore it but i also think that acceptance of absurdity and acceptance of paradox is important to have a healthy existence so i think the the religion of the comic also has like a, a great deal of that kind of theme to it. 
Sorry, it's a very long answer. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's uh, that's really, really interesting. So, I mean, I, I was uh, talking about your influences from religion, etc. Like, did you, has your interest in, in religions and, and in sort of law in general been guided by this sort of existentialist, uh, absurdist philosophy as well, or like alongside it? Um, yeah, more or less. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I had any strong sort of spiritual beliefs, that's probably them. Um, I wouldn't call myself a particularly spiritual person. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of person who I'm like, I don't know if consciousness is real, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I really don't. I, I, sure. I, I genuinely, honestly think that I'm a very, I'm a very strong materialist, but also, conversely, I think it's a bit pointless to get obsessed with that kind of thing because it doesn't really, you know, the th you know it doesn't really mean anything in the long term. Like, you still experience life and, have to make decisions and do things and yeah you know <laughs> it's funny to me that you say you're a strong materialist i mean i can mm. see that but the comic itself is is not materialist i would say right it's very um like uh, people have a yeah. soul and they have these other aspects of themselves and there's a primordial chaos and you know there's all this sort of extra material oh yeah totally existence yeah well it's fun it's fun to it is fun stuff yeah yeah i mean so so like not to spoil too much um Ooh. But there's a sequence in the comic coming up that is a little more about this kind of thing. I mean, I'm trying to sort of hit it on the nose a bit more. Uh -huh. um, where the, the, the main character gets to talk with someone who is omniscient. Right. Uh, who's one of the characters in the comic. Um, so, I mean, again, <laughs> mild comic spoilers. Uh, but the main character is talking with this, this lady who is omniscient. That's her whole deal. She knows everything. Okay. And I love, I love... I love shit like this. It's my favorite because people think about omniscience and they, they think like, well, if you if you knew all information that was possible in the known universe, right? Couldn't couldn't when you wouldn't you also be like all powerful, right? Mm -hmm. When when they go hand in hand, wouldn't you, you know, like there's a big fight right now, right? In the comic with uh, with all the main villains, and they're all fighting to try and prevent one of them from basically destroying the world. So a lot of people right now are like, well, if this one character knows exactly what's going to happen, why isn't she doing anything to prevent it? Obviously, she would know how to prevent it and how to stop it. Well, there's a certain view of omniscience, which is uh, that it would completely preclude any idea of free will. Because <laughs> if you know the whole of time, nothing you do and say will actually change anything. And you've always done and said these things. Like everything exists in the exact present moment to you, and nothing you do can change anything because you that that is just how things go. So, the idea that you can do anything differently is completely fallacious because it implies that there is any such thing as individual choice when you know every single outcome, <laughs> or even an individual consciousness. Yeah, right? I follow what you're saying. Yeah, you're not an individual if you know all information perfectly. You're not, you're not even a person. You're not even someone who, who it can be engaged with on that level, yeah, <laughs> right? You're, you're like a billiard ball, right? You're just you don't even... Uh, yeah, and you don't actually exist <laughs> either. It's probably, probably arguable, right? <laughs> um, so, so like, when you really delve into concept like, like this, it starts to get really silly. So, so you know, so, so, yeah, you know, there's some more of this in that comic. Like, like uh, you know, main character having, having a conversation with this, this lady who is completely omniscient. And how that plays out, you know. And you know, I think she asked 
the main character asks this uh, omniscient character, like, is there any meaning to life? You know, what's the meaning of life? You know everything. And then the other character's like, no, there's there's no meaning. (laughs) There's no intrinsic meaning to anything. (laughs) There is is nothing but reality. Yeah, which is kind of what we were talking about before, right? That's interesting. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hammer it down a little more. I think I, ultimately the the conclusion of this comic maybe will will uh, also answer that question a little bit. Maybe hammer that theme a little. Cool. More. Yeah, t- a couple of things that made me think of it made me think of um, Watchmen as we were talking about before. Uh, Doctor Manhattan's sort of semi omniscient sort of apathy. Oh yeah, he's great. He's a great character. Yeah, totally. He sort of ascends and then he just doesn't really care anymore. Because he doesn't he's care. Sort of... Why does Why does he have a reason to? Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 And another thing it made me think of, have you read the manga uh, Gantz? No, I have not read Gantz. No. Okay, well, it's it's a fun read. It's a it's a pretty... starts off really schlocky and kind of gets weirdly like philosophical as it goes on. Just kind yeah, of yeah. brilliant. I, li- I really like it. <laughs> I really like pieces of work where you can see the authors sort of changing as it goes. And you're like, wow, what's happening to this person? You know, you can see that they're... Right. Um, like the whole purpose of the uh, material has changed. Anyway, at one point... Um, the uh the protagonist sort of meet an alien that is basically god and they're that you know like in your uh setup a bit like in your setup they are they ask it questions and it's like yep uh, basically uh nothing matters like it brings back people from the dead and it doesn't care and it, it sort of right. um, says that life is inherently meaningless <laughs> right right yeah and um and they just have to the humans just sort of look at it and they're like oh okay well <laughs> great <laughs> yeah it's yeah pretty funny I mean, part part of being part of being like a like a strong atheist is is just accepting that like is is accepting and 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 accepting and uh, kind of making friends with death because it's inevitable, right? Mm. And and that's that's just how it is. Like <laughs> like I, I was terrified of death uh, younger in my life, and at this point in my life, like I am not anymore. But mostly mm-hmm. because I have come to realize that like. What's actually important is the things I'm doing right now, <laughs> right, right, and and there's no point in avoiding it because it'll happen anyway. It's like the it's an axiom, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and there's no point in worrying about it either because it's not it's not an avoidable thing. It's a part of life. It's natural. So yeah. Um. So you know, in in a face of of uh, a all encompassing and uncaring void. The correct decision is to go and hang out with your friends and and have Sunday dinner with them. <laughs> yeah, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Oh man, I love getting into this deeper stuff. It's great. I hope people enjoy listening to this. Well, I mean, that's a big part of who I am. I think as a person, yeah. that's what I strongly believe, you know. And so that's sort of what the comics about. <laughs> oh no, I think it's great. I think it's totally like I think people will have um, people should have picked this up from the comic already. I think in, in lots of mm. ways, uh, your your mm. kind of worldview on this because it's very. Yeah. It's it's all there really. Like when you're talking about it, I see it in in the comic itself, and um, it's really interesting to hear the thoughts behind behind the story. So thanks for that. Yeah, well, a lot a lot a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it's that, and a lot of it is me really really thinking that the whole hero's journey idea is very unexamined, and uh, and also is uh, tends to be a very violent narrative in which the violence is is unexamined as well, you know? Oh, you know what? I was about to change the topic, but I have to bite. I have to dig deeper in that. What would tell me more about that? The... I, oh man, I'm sorry. I keep No, that's fine. I say so... things off and we go on like giant <laughs> <laughs> No, that, so the hero's journey being unexamined, I'm really interested in that. 
So if you if you if you follow, you're a fantasy fan, yeah, as I am, and a lot of fantasy narratives, the power power narratives, the power yes. fantasy, right? Yeah, and I think power fantasy is inherently a very juvenile story. It's not particularly interesting, and it has a lot of problems, right? Which is okay if if you're if you're if you're reading something a uh, uh, fantasy fiction to be entertained and just have a good time, like. It's really all right. You can suspend your disbelief, right? Uh, but when you start to drill down into it, fantasy narratives are about... They have a lot of conveniences. For, first, that there are... The first convenience of a lot of fantasy narratives is that violence can be inflicted without reservation upon a certain class of thing or person, right? Which Which is a very, like strange uh conceit because that's not the case in the real world right like there's 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 always you know some kind of monolithic evil and the servants of that monolithic evil or the enemies or people under his thrall or whatever so like an orc or yeah like a tolkien orc yeah like a tolkien orc is like the quintessential the irredeemable example of this yeah the, the irredeemable corrupted you know, creature who you may smite with impunity always exists in these stories. The second is that evil is personified and concentrated into a singular being instead of being complicated mm-hmm. like it is in the real world. And the third thing is that the the hero is always somebody who receives power and wields it in order to, you know, liberate or to, to free or to destroy evil. And then there is no examination uh, of what happens after that. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, and so inevitably it ends up being a story about a violent person who uses violence to, to crush their enemies and then, you know, assume some position of power and things are great i guess after that it's a very Mm -hmm. linear view of history it's a very linear view of of storytelling and of time uh which doesn't line up at all with how how things happen in a lot of other storytelling traditions or narratives or or the real world especially and um and it's very simplistic and and like i said has a lot of unexamined narrative conveniences you know um like most most adventurers like if we viewed them you know flat out they would be violent sociopaths yeah and right, we don't examine this because it's not. It's not. It, there's, there's a suspension of disbelief, right? I mean, uh, like so, some writers try to like shade this stuff a little bit, right? And, and some of them write stories that are not about that sort of hero's journey thing. Like I think, like the 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 uh, the Song of Ice and Fire books, for example, are very much not a hero's journey kind of book, right? Mm-hmm. They're about a world in which the violence is more grounded and realistic and complicated. And that's, I think, why a lot of people have enjoyed them. You know, while still they still have things like, you know, dragons and fairies and shit like that. Um, even guys like Brandon Sanderson and his, like, Stormlight archives and stuff, you still have the same basic setup. Uh, you have a, a main character who is, you know, only skill is basically killing people and... The people you kill tend to, are, are servants of an of an ancient god, and he's going to eventually have to face down this god and defeat him. And uh, that's you know, kind of that's the, that's the format, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, but but 
a lot of that draw is drawing from like earlier earlier narratives and the earlier epic fantasy narratives, which were very like unique in their construction. Like Narnia is a is a Christian narrative explicitly. Tolkien and uh, Thomas Covenant, like those earlier fantasy stories, are definitely also like very, if not explicitly, implicitly Christian narratives about the end of time. It's and, almost like you know, um, Crusader fic or something. Right? Yes, right. Yes, exactly. Like you journey into the dark land and reclaim it. Yeah, well, it's it's also it's also uh, I I think these these come from from very Christian worldviews. Actually, mm-hmm. I I really think that narrative has started in, in in the idea that the time will end at some point, um, and that there is evil is monolithic, you know, and personified in in uh, you know Satan or whatever, and uh, and and people that are are touched by that power can be destroyed without repercussion, you know. And a lot of people just don't really examine that and uh, and kind of ape that narrative without really looking at it in any detail. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but anyway, I wrote KSPD because I was irritated by it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of what people write ends up being a response in some way or a part of the conversation, right? So I do right. see that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so like in... In in Brandon Sanderson, I'm I'm reading a I'm reading his his uh, Stormlight Archives series, which I'm enjoying. Yeah, I read those as well. By the way, yeah, in the most recent book, uh, Oathbringer, uh, not Oathbringer. Yeah, Rhythm of War. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I actually haven't read that. Uh, one. Yeah. yeah, well, well, in that one, he he starts to lampshade it a bit. Like his main mm-hmm. character basically has um, PTSD or starts suffering from it, and uh, from like killing so many people. <laughs> And and he starts to ask questions like, is 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 this great that this guy just he, only only getting his good out is just murdering people and you know he he tries to nuance and humanize like this the sort of uh, servants of evil mm-hmm. um, a lot and so he he's kind of like doing things which I think are like way more interesting in in that book he's still hewing to that narrative but he's doing interesting stuff with it which I which I appreciate. Uh, Sorry, you were going to uh, say something? Yeah, uh, well, I was going to just say, I think the appeal of... The, I totally agree with your critique. And I have a lot of critiques of fantasy myself. Oh, even, sure. though I, even though I love it. I love the genre, but my love of it is also tempered by all of these criticisms. Um, but yeah, like, um, I think a lot of the draw of this style of storytelling is that it is is because it does simplify things. It's like, what if, like you know, your your boss being horrible to you could be, <laughs> you know, instantiated in a zombie that you can kill or something, right? Like, right. it's a simplification of the evils of the world in, in a way that yeah. is actually, you can grasp and do something with. And of course, there's the classic escapist bent of fantasy, which is, yeah. you are handed the sword and it's up to you or whatever, right? I, I totally I totally think there are really, like, harmful things about that narrative, though, that yeah, I just, to, yeah. to be honest. Like, like, can be. like a couple, like, like one thing it does is it, it suggests the, you know, violent overthrow of, of some evil force is the only option. And that also that will completely get rid of evil, yes, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, that, and, and that you are justified in, in doing that. Um, the second thing, and I, I'm quite a, I'm quite a strong pacifist. So like for me, like that's sort of, uh abhorrent in, in a way that is weird and, and also it, it embodies a, the power of the characters in physical violence which is a, innately a little bit fascistic which i don't like <laughs> like yeah. like this happens in superhero stories too right like like superheroes are very fashy if you think about yes. it in, in yes. any kind of detail um 
That was Alan Moore's critique, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was yeah, right. That's the whole. That's what Watchmen's about. It's about how superheroes are fascists, and you shouldn't idolize them, uh, which is true. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then the third part is that it implies it always implies that individual action is the most effective. When in fact, that's never true in history. Yes. Collect history, in my view, in my my beliefs is driven by collective action. And so it often disempowers the idea of collective efforts in favor of the narrative, the very like Western individualistic narrative that like we'll have some hero with a sword that will save us. And the history is driven by by great people yeah. instead of large, you know, slow moving social movements, which is probably more of the case, right? Yeah, yeah. Like people want to have agency over history and over their lives and stuff, when in fact the reality of the, is that most people don't have agency over anything. Uh, at that larger of a scale and have to kind of sort of go with whatever is happening at the time, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is kind of a disempowering narrative. So, which hence, you know, power, the power fantasy thing. And I, I think it's okay uh, to have that escapism element. Like, I like playing video games, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm into it. I, I like, I like running around with a sword and killing skeletons or whatever. I'm super into that. You know, I'm not going to bemoan anyone who enjoys that. But to, but to like, to like hold that narrative up uncritically as some like emblem of like good storytelling, I think is fallacious. And I think it's, it's actively harmful if that's something that you take a lot of like, a lot of like personal, I don't know, your personal belief system from stories like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we, if, especially in America, we, we love those kinds of stories. I mean, mm -hmm. look at like, look at like Marvel, or Disney, or any of the shit that they're, uh, isn't a story. They're, they're popular stories, right? Everyone loves those power fantasy stories. But, but Star Wars, you know, Star Wars, Marvel movies, big blockbuster movies, they're always power fantasy stories. Yeah. And, uh, and they sell well because it's fun. They're fun stories, but like, I think, I think they feed this like very kind of unexamined, juvenile and uh, uncritical narrative structure which mm -hmm. which i i dislike personally i'm so i sound like a grumpy old man no no i get it and, and i think but would it be correct to say i mean you don't think these stories shouldn't exist at all right you just think no not at all be, no I, there should I, I be just... more different types of stories right right absolutely yeah yes and, and i think it's important to recognize the place that story has as as escapism and as a form of indulgence yeah. and entertainment mm -hmm. and not necessarily as some kind of you know high art or anything <laughs> yes yes you know yeah and not everything has to be i'm not like that i'm not one of those people who's like mmm, fucking i mean i i've enjoyed <laughs> the the marvel movies and yeah i like i like the og star wars movies i fucking love them i'm hugely yeah. influenced by them i think they're 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 great they're really pulpy and enjoyable pulpy bullshit and i i enjoy pulpy bullshit as i mentioned previously yes. but uh same yeah but yeah. it shouldn't be mistaken for the be all and end all of fantasy or something like that. Nah, yeah. no, totally. And, yeah. and fantasy is kind of mired in this. And I, th I think fantasy can do better. I think fantasy can tell more interesting stories. hundred percent agree. Yes. Than the a... same, the same thing. <laughs> yes. This is a, a journey that I've been on as well. Cause I, I, I love it and I have so many criticisms of it. And in what I write, I try to challenge that. So I, I completely resonate with what you're saying here. Yeah. My, I mean, even, even myself, like, right. KSPD is, it's it's a criticism of the hero's journey narrative, but it's still kind of a hero's journey narrative, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and I think it'll the 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 shape of it will become more clear after the ending, right? Yeah, because that's that's the punchline on everything. Um, mm -hmm. 
But um, I'm still indulging in that narrative in, along the way because it's fun. My my next story um, is is not. It's still going to be a fantasy story, but it's going to oh. be very grounded. Wow, I can't wait to ask you about that. That's one of my later questions is to ask what's coming up next. Oh, okay. Well, I'll wait yeah. till then. So, so <laughs> ramble about it. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm thrilled that you have something lined up next. That's great. Yeah. Oh, just so I was just um, uh, thinking about like what you were saying earlier about that narrative. And I, I think it's almost like um, the classic hero's journey narrative of, you know, the good guy with the sword beats the unashamedly evil, uh, mm. you know, instantiated uh, in the end. It's kind of like might makes right. Yeah. Right? And then moral makes more might, like being yeah. more moral just gives you the edge kind of thing. But they're yeah. both bloodthirsty in the end. Like you're saying, violence is violence, right? It's they're, just, very, they're very fascistic stories to tell. Yes. It's just, it's literally like, it's uh, It's kind of like, also, you could imagine the victor is writing the tale. So the one who won necessarily is right, you know? Like they're, they're, very, they're very, uh, I think a lot of fantasy is, is by nature very conservative in outlook. And, yes. and, uh, and also like, like Tolkien, for example, was indulging in, I think, a very, um, sort of pastoral conservative view of England at the time. Yeah, that was yeah. kind of what he, and so like it comes out in his story. By no means is it, is it a bad story. It's a great, it's a great piece of work. It's just that like that's the viewpoint he's writing to. And, yeah. uh, and a lot of the fantasy does the same thing, right? It's very much about morality and, uh, in the, in the classical sense, you mm-hmm. know, and, and violence. <laughs> yeah yeah uh you know like uh yeah i mean why have a protagonist in your fantasy story why why have like one protagonist You're right yeah you know like i don't know it's like you gotta start thinking about this stuff and to tell more interesting stories i think yeah absolutely well i mean i could talk about this for hours but again i'm gonna move us on yeah um, uh, i maybe we'll get the chance to talk again because i'd love that there's so much to talk about sure yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway um Another thing I really love about the comic is you have a really diverse cast, not just in the sense of having humans and angels and demons uh. and others, but you also have people from different ethnic backgrounds, different body types, men and women and others across the gender spectrum even. Uh, I really love that and it doesn't feel forced to me either. Um, and as a creator of Cullen myself, I've, I can say I've rarely seen so many black and brown characters so sort of uh, simply presented in the same fantasy setting and handled so naturally. Um, have you thought a lot about the diversity as you've been writing it? And, you know, how do you go about um, incorporating that in des- in designing and creating new characters? Um, I I, uh, I wanted to write a, a, a comic that with a female protagonist. Um, actually, again, strangely, specifically because I hated the hero's journey narrative and it's always like a young, it's like always like a young Tomboy. white dude with a sword, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to write one with a, it's going to be a lady. Um, and, 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 you know, it's just kind of that very sort of, I don't know, almost like puerile kind of like, oh, what if, what if her boyfriend was the one who got kidnapped this time? You know, like mm-hmm, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of thought, oh, you know, trying to almost as like a joke, like writing exercise thing, like as though you think that's where, what the story is actually going to be about, right? At the beginning. Um, cause, cause spoiler, it's not about that at all. <laughs> right. Um, uh, that's going to nick uh, some fan theories out there, I think. <laughs> like she's 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 found her boyfriend, by the way, at this point in the comic. For you guys who are listening in, and uh, nothing has fundamentally changed. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So so I I wanted to write um, good female characters, so I made the main cast all female. That way, I would have to write a good female character. 
Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Playing the odds. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the thing is, I, th I think a lot of times people are not aware of their own perspective and how it influences things, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've had the fortunate, I've had a fortunate position of like having, I've got, I've got, a, I've got secondary education. I've been to college, you know, I've been around a lot of people who are very different to me. And I've been through a lot of classes where, you know, I learned a lot about world culture and about uh, worldview and, and perspective and how it's very, very important. Color is basically everything that you have. Um, you know, I've studied uh, what, what the guys in the Fox News nowadays would be would be calling critical race theory. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the new bogeyman. Yeah, which yeah, on Fox News, right? Uh, which which is which is which was literally took you know for me the the form of uh, I took a class about impostorship and imposterhood um, mm. from a uh, black professor at UCLA, which I found really really interesting and very informative and was like very influential on how i thought about race because mm. um he was talking about we took a lot we, we did a lot of studies a lot of studying how a lot of people throughout history who are you know codified as black but were white passing mm -hmm. um and how that kind of influenced them and people that like pretended to be other people and how people couldn't disentangle you know in the 1800s how hard it was to disentangle someone's actual identity we read we read a lot about that and about uh, uh, you know how artificial races, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and 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 you know that that was obviously very important for me uh, to think about um, conceptually. And uh, anyway, so point point being, like I think a lot of people don't examine their own perspective when they write work, so they always write to what they know. And for a lot of men, when they write female characters, I think they're they're writing girlfriends mm -hmm. or sister or mother right mm -hmm. you're writing as some something that you know which is someone in relation to you a, a, a dude right and so you're not writing a character that has their own flaws and independent life you're writing them relationally the same way that like a lot of characters of color on tv or in fiction or whatever get written as relationally to the white characters right mm -hmm. yeah um, which is the major flaw I think a lot of people fall into is they always write like a person is like what's 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 your character oh I am the gay character mm -hmm. <laughs> or I'm the girl or I'm the black best friend or whatever like that's mm -hmm. that's their character trait because that's often what defines them to some degree in the minds of the person who's writing them because they're writing from their own perspective um, and I think what's important to do is just to write characters as characters, <laughs> which sounds really facetious, but like, you got to have characters that are doing their own thing and like their identity may or may not be a part of that. Right. Yeah. Like, like there's a trans character in my comic, uh, and her deal is mostly that she's a warrior monk and is trying to do something while all of her sort of warrior monk buddies are content to like sit around and wait till the end of the world basically uh and and you know how that conflicts with her her upbringing and training and all that stuff and her transness is kind of a part of the story but like it's not her identity right mm -hmm. um so that was important for me to write it that way right i mean there are other characters where their ethnic background has literally nothing to do with who they are. I mean, I think there's a there's a there's a swordswoman named Maya in the comic who's like this uh, middle-aged 
uh, South Asian looking lady, but like that literally has nothing to do with who she yeah. is. She's she's like a Miyamoto Musashi kind of <laughs> kind of lady whose whose master was swordswoman Diogenes, and you know she she really fucked up and she wants to fix her mistakes and you know like that. I don't know. I I, I don't think it's particularly difficult to do. You just have to kind of take yourself out of your own perspective and ask why a certain character exists or acts a certain way. And, um, and also you have to be intentional about it. You, you can't, you can't write a, a story that it has only white characters in it without asking yourself why there are only white characters in your story. Mm. <laughs> right. Well, like, you say that, but a lot of people have, <laughs> well, they, do, right? well, they do, they do, obviously they obviously yeah. do, but it's cause they're not looking critically at it and they're not being critical yeah. of their own work. And they're not like paying attention to it. And, and 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 you see a lot of like thermium arguments about this stuff. Have you heard about this term thermium argument? Yes, but can you remind our listeners? Uh, tell our listeners. Uh, that is the, that is this argument that like, oh, it's just a story. Like it can mean whatever. Like it, it doesn't matter that in my like m- medieval fantasy setting or my or my fantasy setting there are only white people because that's just the nation that they're from. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, that's true. But, but you make the rules, right? You write the rules, it. yeah. <laughs> and your your world that you write is reflective. It's reflective in some way of some perspective you have. Um, it's so. I just want to come in and say, like, if this is like a this, a criticism of Game of Thrones having diverse casting or something. We'd be like, oh, well, there weren't black people in in Europe, medieval Europe. It's like, well, Game of Thrones is fans. There's dragons. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, magic. yeah, yeah, right. You don't have a right. problem with that. <laughs> so right. It's just, it's so strange. Fantasy is 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 ridden with this kind of stuff. Like, why does it have to be? Why does it have to be historically accurate? Yeah. Does it have to be historically accurate? Like, what's the fucking point? Like, I actually, I wanna, <laughs> I don't wanna ask that question. People are always like, oh, uh, why are you, why are you writing this, uh, you know, this medieval Europe thing? Why are there black people in medieval England? I'm like, well, a, there were, and and b, why not? Like, yes, yeah. What what's your? I mean, they cost they cost people in all kinds of roles in theater and stuff all the time. No one gives a shit. Like, why is race important to this? Like, to your conception of this? Why does it break your suspension of disbelief to see a black person in like an Elizabethan court? Like, I don't. Why why can't Queen Elizabeth be black? I don't understand. Like, what's the what's the issue? <laughs> and like, uh, I, I literally, I mean, that you're 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 like. Get you getting um, chafed by that, or someone getting chafed by that, like tells me something about their perspective, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I've tried to be attentive to it in my writing because, and and you have to be if you if you come from a total a different perspective, right? Because it's just invisible to you. You know. I I think it, I don't think you have to be. I think that you've done a really good thing by being so attentive because it's. It's unfortunately not as common as I would like it to be. I mean, uh, sure. growing up as a fan of fantasy, I I was reading all implicitly white characters, and right, I would right. often I would often identify with like I remember playing like Zelda, um, Ocarina of Time. Have you played yeah. that game? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the person who I really identified with and was so was so mysterious and interesting to me was Ganondorf. Totally, he, he was green, <laughs> but yeah. he's, he was a different color and a Gerudo to some extent because I was like. Oh, who are these guys? Like, that's where I would be, I guess, in this world. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but in Kill Six Billion Demons, it's just so, it's so, uh, it's, uh, like you said, you, you, this, um, non-relational definition of characters and this kind of, you know, they happen to have this skin tone or have this background or whatever. And it's really immaterial to a lot of other stuff. It's really refreshing to see that. And I know what you're saying. You're saying like, you have to write like this right but yeah i can tell you that it's not it's not common across the board and i, I wish no, there was more of it 
No, it's definitely not. I, I don't think people are, are are critical of that enough. And also, people react weirdly too. And like creators are like, yeah, you can like read my characters however you like, like mm-hmm. whatever race you like. The character is important. Is important. Like people get fucking weirdly pissed. I mean, J.K. Rowling's like a whole other can of worms there. But okay, like, yeah, when, yeah. when when she when she was like. Oh yeah, Hermione. Hermione can be black. Like that's totally a fine reading of the character. Like whatever. Like and people getting fucking pissed about that yeah. for whatever reason. I'm like that's just plain old racism. <laughs> like, yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know. Like so, um, I think it's important to be attentive to that stuff. You know, especially as a white as a white creator, you gotta you gotta you gotta watch out for it because you're gonna write to again. You're gonna write to your default. You're gonna write to what you know. Yeah. And uh, often try people try to be inclusive or be diverse. And they think that inclusion by itself is is acceptable, yeah. rather than like the character having things to do and say and being a person. <laughs> yeah, having yeah. an identity outside of that representation. Totally. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's the tokenism thing that like rubs rubs me the wrong way too. So, have you <laughs> like, have you had any like have any people been? upset at the at the diversity of your cast no no they haven't actually well that's great that's good people that are usually pretty shitty about that have been less so Mm. i think because the characters they're their own characters and they have shit to do so they don't really notice it Mm -hmm. um sometimes when people write diverse characters into a setting it's like i'm the gay character let you remind me how i'm gay and the things i do are gay and i'm gay yeah, and it's about and and my struggle is about me being gay and not being accepted by my family, as opposed yeah. to just like, oh, this this guy is um he he's a, a knight of the realm and he's having a lot of problems because he he finds that uh he can no longer believe in the king and his ideals anymore. Oh, also he's he's gay, but that's completely incidental to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to who he is. <laughs> like, you know, like that that's that's what makes representation actually good for people is when people have like identifiable relatable characters in there something that you know as, as a white dude i get to enjoy all the time <laughs> a yeah. lot of people get barred out from that because there's there's no room for them you know it's not hard to make room it's really not fucking hard you just gotta keep <laughs> the door open you just gotta yeah. open the damn door it's like yeah <laughs> it's like not difficult uh no but uh, kudos for doing it man i mean uh yes yes hoping more more people uh, follow that example i think it's i don't think yeah. people should even be thanks for doing it they should just do it <laughs> fair enough fair enough I, re- I rescind my thanks <laughs> but uh, I, it's it's great to see all right i have many more questions about the comic but i'm going to pause on those there um sure. in fact i was thinking of calling this episode ask six billion questions Sure. Uh, but I'll try and hold back the deluge of other questions I have. Anyway, yeah. something I like to do uh, also on this podcast is ask people uh, more nitty gritty questions about their working habits, habits and their setup, mm. uh, their tools, techniques, etc. So um, first, let me ask, uh, what does your typical working day look like? Do you, is there a time of day you prefer to write and draw and, and, and where do you do it? What does it look like? I have, I have an office on the ground floor of my house and uh, I... I have my own working space, which is actually very important to me. I think um, working in a shared space is uh, difficult. I like to be able to concentrate, and I get very distracted. I'm, I'm very noise sensitive, so mm. people are playing music or you know talking or whatever. It can be very distracting to me. Um, and I usually work from, I want to say, like 11 to 6 or so. Uh, oh, right. So it's a real solid uh, period of work. 
It, it is. I have to do it that way because otherwise I won't get anything done. And it's not like I'm drawing the entire time. I'm taking breaks. I'm getting up, I'm meeting, I'm doing around. I'm working from home. Don't have an office. Some people suggest that I get one, but I think it's like kind of pointless because I don't need to pay rent on a space when I can work fine here. You know, I uh, have my own separation, right? If I live somewhere that um, I couldn't get that separation, it might be different. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's what I do. And I, I work on a, in Photoshop on a graphics tablet. Um, I don't use a Cintiq, which is one of those, you know, you draw right on the screen kind of things. I actually have a, a tablet that, that where the, the, the cursor is like controlled by the pad. Wow, really? That's, that's yeah, really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's very normal, actually. Well, I, so I mentioned that to a lot of uh, comic artists, and they're like, are you insane? Yeah. <laughs> like, Do you not want to upgrade? Well, they're more expensive, one, and two, they break quickly. Mm. Uh, and three, it's just how I've done things. I, I think it might actually be faster, easier, and more accurate if I had a Cintiq. And I've thought about ordering one. It's just that I, I know how I work and how I produce stuff, and it's worked fine for me for, you know, eight to ten years, and so... I'm maybe for the next... Doing it. Maybe for the next project? Maybe, or, or maybe... Uh, maybe I'll just try it out, you know? Um, yeah, I, yeah. It's a tax write-off for me, so... That's super interesting. I would never <laughs> yeah. have guessed that. I assumed you had the full, you know, uh, the whole... the works. Um, mm -mm. Okay, so, yeah, so uh, drawing comics digitally obviously requires a certain amount of hardware and software working together. You mentioned Photoshop yeah. and um, the yes. uh, graphics tablet. Yeah. Um, and so are there any other tools that you typically use and what's the kind of process from, do you, do you hand sketch things first and scan them in? Like what's the process from idea to page? I, I actually hate, I hate working traditionally cause I hate inking. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's nightmarish to me when you, when you, you do a sketch of something and then you have to go over it and you might make errors and have to f fix shit. And it's, it's just, I just don't like it. And it, mm -hmm. it's faster for me to do it digitally. So. I used to scan, I used to sketch pencil, scan, ink, or uh, ink scan, and then do all coloring and stuff, but uh, doing it all in one saves me a lot of time and, and uh, pain. Uh, I, I don't think tools are, are particularly important for, for comic making. You, you basically just need like a tablet that can do reasonably good precision, like you do three or 400 DPI, mm -hmm. and then you need, um, if you're going to do traditional, you need like slightly more heavyweight paper, sketchbook paper is actually fine. And then you need to figure out uh, what kind of brush or like pen you like, and that could be like a ballpoint. I mean, I don't, like some people are crazy and have drawn stuff with ballpoint pens, but you can just get like any kind of drawing pen and just just do that. It's like not people always get really obsessive about this stuff, and I'm they just like, they do. That's true. I don't want to encourage that. No, yeah, as though like having the right tools will will, will, will create the comic for you. Right, right. It's <laughs> like no, man. Just the most important thing is just putting the hours in that. yeah get it. to work right yeah 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 um do you sketch digitally then just have interest yes. okay yeah, yeah, yeah and do you have a lot of revisions to your sketches themselves like mm -hmm. oh, right yeah. so like typically for like a panel will you try out like many different things and then pick the best one i usually i usually do a loose panel of the entire like a loose uh, thumb of the entire page and then i like blow the thumb up to full size sketch over that a couple times so it looks all right and then i do the final lines over that and i'll adjust things as i work in it uh working the way i do to do uh sketch lines flats final colors writing dialogue and everything together is atypical for the comic mm -hmm. industry sole creative work that is fully colored in as much detail as i make it is very difficult to produce yeah it takes a lot of time and energy and uh, not a lot of people do it. And when they do, they produce it pretty slowly. 
I mean, most most comic work that's done like that for you know Marvel, DC, like big two studios is done assembly line style, yeah. basically. Which, which I say in no means to be no way to be in a to be like demeaning of it. Um, it, it it just it's like some guy does the lines, some guy does the flats, some guy does the, you know finishes the colors, and then you get a letterer on there. So you have like anywhere from like two to three to five people working on a single page at a time. So, I mean, I have to ask then, what's your secret? How can you, how do you do it? Uh, I do it slowly, right? I do, I do it two pages a week. Um, you know, Shonen Jump update schedule is 22 a week. And comic issues for Western comics is like a uh, single issue, I think it's like 13 to 26 pages. I can't remember. I think it's 26. 26 pages every two weeks or whatever. So, like, they just work differently, you know? Yeah, but I mean, I guess your your uh, your strategy is sort of slow and steady because over time, you know, with this consistent schedule, you produced a lot of work, right? Consistency is incredibly important. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I've got like over five hundred and fifty pages of comic now, mm-hmm. and I've just done that working once or twice, doing one or two pages a week for 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 going on nine years, right? Like that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh. I think consistency is important in any kind of creative work. You just got to keep making it and eventually it'll A, get better, B, get produced. Yes, yeah. And C, eventually, get finished. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great piece of advice. Yeah, absolutely cool. You don't have to like it. You just have to make it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's it. Um, How do you go about uh, designing new characters or new settings? Um... I have an idea or a kernel of an idea of what I want it to, to be or to look like, and I'll just kind of sketch around it for a while. Um, like, uh, angels in this setting are, are weird. They're, uh, they're like spirits from sort of an extra-dimensional space that possess statues, basically, or like living armor. And so they have all kinds of weird like geometric designs to them, and they have holes in them, so you can show that there's this like sort of fire inside of them and... Uh, and uh, and they they have that kind of I don't know that kind of a unique design. I've seen like abstract art that kind of reminded me of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like I just like sketch random stuff out and then like it, it, something feels good to me and I'll I'll pop it in the comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and always I think about I try to think about like influences that I'm that I'm drawing on when I'm just like putting stuff down on paper and try to refine those influences. So if I see that something is like reminding me a little bit of like a suit of armor i'll, I'll like be like oh this looks kind of like a suit of armor if I, I wonder if i can like push that influence a little bit right and make it look more like a suit of armor and the, mm-hmm. what, what are the shapes and, and colors and and forms and contours that kind of give that idea so you know you, you want you want designs to be evocative of something right that's what strong design is it's that it makes you think of you know Something specific in, in in the real world, or like a tone, or like a color, or like an idea, or something. So you you get some impression of of the thing before you even you know you get an impression of a character before it even gets a chance to talk. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you typically um, like design like a visual style for the character before you know who and what they are exactly, or is it the other way around? Uh, it's sometimes the other way around. For the main characters in the comic, uh, I kind of had an idea of who they were before I designed them. Yeah. They went through several iterations. For example, Seo, uh, who's the little uh, bug devil, um, originally was actually going to be a skeleton in the oh, original interesting. comic. Interesting, yeah. Um, b- before she was a devil, um, 
she had a similar backstory. Like she was, she was like someone who was a, you know, powerful sorcerer and stuff, and then had been resurrected and was like pretty content with not being an asshole anymore. Um, but I, I changed her to a devil because I was like, oh, that, that'll be fun because it'll now we'll have a devil main character and it'll kind of fit into this world a little better. Right. Did you did you draw did you draw full panels with her as a skeleton? Like how far did that go? No, I just I just did some design work. I just mm-hmm. did some like really rough sketches like eight years ago. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh she, she was like a little skeleton skeleton lady in a in a dress and stuff. Like it's very similar looking, but that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, okay. Well you may have already answered this, but what's the biggest piece of advice you give to comics creators starting out and um also to creators of serialized fiction like myself? Yeah. You gotta you gotta uh finish work mm-hmm. and put it where people will see it. Oh, okay. Can you tell me more about that last one? Yeah. That's very so, hard in this day, day and age. Isn't it is it? very difficult. So step step one is finish work. And that's it sounds facetious, but it's actually the most important thing. You have to you have to train yourself to work and finish work when you don't like it, when you're feeling uninspired, when you feel like you have uh, you know, writer's block or artist block or or you don't feel connected to it, you've got to still finish it. Mm-hmm. Because finishing it is the most important thing. Any publishing company is not going to give you a look, even, if you don't have something finished. Uh, conversely, if you finished an entire comic, you can take it to a publisher like Image and be like, hey, uh, I have this comic. It's done. It looks pretty good, right? Because I finished it. You can see it. Um, and uh, people are reading it already. Would you like to publish it? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and they'll usually just say, yeah. And conversely, like with fiction, you know, you, you got to finish, finish work off. Yeah. You can't just send like unfinished shit to people unless you're already established. And so a lot of people, they um, seem to get this impression with a lot of creative work that they can send pitches or manuscripts or unfinished stuff to people who don't know about their work already and expect to get some kind of response when in fact that will never happen. It never has happened as far as I'm aware. When, when you hear about that happening in any kind of creative space, it's because people were already aware of someone, right? Like the only people who send screenplays and, and manuscripts in are people with connections yeah, or, or people who've done prior work <laughs> with their client, right? Like at this point, uh, when I publish my next book, um, Arctic SPD, I'll take an image, right? And there's a good chance that like, you know, if I really wanted to, I could be like, Hey image, um, will you pay me to draw this on an issue by issue basis? Right. Which I'm not going to do. Um, but like on the, on the promise that I will, you know, fin- finish it and compile it in trade eventually. And you can sell that An image may very well say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have an idea. Go ahead. We'll, we'll give you an advance on whatever. And then you can, cause you've established your pedigree, right? But because I put now, I will put as of August four books out with them. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, you know, will probably be five. Mm-hmm. And my first book has five printings now with an mm-hmm. So so like they know who I am. And if I take, I mean, I, I use an exact example. Uh, I write a RPG called Lancer. Yeah, and uh, I I not too long ago had uh, people from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, email us and be like, hey, would you like to make a Lancer comic? Like, they came to us, right? Apropos of nothing. We're like, hey, we love Lancer. Do you want to do a tie-in comic? Now, 
I pitched to Dark Horse. I cold pitched to Dark Horse with my portfolio. Mm. Like when I was when I was first starting out, like eight years ago in comics, it was the same shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that I've been doing. It was. I think. I think one of the ideas I pitched them was KSBD. Right. Uh, and they didn't even respond to me. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And why would they? They had no idea who it was. Right. Right. Anyway, finish work, and also yeah, put put it where people can see it. Whether that's online or, or, or finishing stuff and you know trying to get it published through some kind of smaller publishing space, whatever. Yeah. Um, you got to do that, and then you, and you got to work your way up. Once people are aware of you, is when it becomes easier. The other, I guess, the third corollary piece of advice I would say is that it takes both hard work and luck. Yeah. To be successful in any creative field, and it, it takes both. Anyone who tells you it's solely one or the other is lying, uh, or, or full of shit, because. If you think it's just hard work, that's not true. Because you can work really, really hard on, on a lot of stuff for a long time. You can finish work, you can pitch it, you can throw it out to publishers and stuff, and you can get nothing for, for a while. Conversely, it's also not just luck. Because if you don't finish work and put it out there, you'll never get the chance to get Absolutely. the luck that you need to be successful. So it's kind of like, I got to pick up this die that weighs like 300 pounds, and I got to roll it. And it's a huge pain in the ass. And I only get work if the die lands on a 10 and it's got 10 sides. Uh-huh. But I'm never going to get, I'm never going to get work if I don't either get lucky and get a 10 or pick the die up in the first place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the way to guarantee you'll get nothing is you never roll. The right. Die. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But you're still rolling a die and it's still a pain. Yeah. So a lot of people get discouraged because they're like, Oh, I, I, I finished tons of shit and I submitted tons of shit and no one yeah. gave me a second look. And I'm like, well, that just happens. And you just got to yeah. keep going because eventually it will uh-huh. happen for you. It's just how long you want to be, how persistent you want to be in it. And, you know, you're, you're building your muscles as you're lifting that die, right? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully you're improving along the way. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. If you, if you see cool. all, all creative pursuits as an endeavor towards continual self-improvement, then it's not a waste, right? Mm, I think that's very good advice as well. Like, in fact, uh, yeah, I'm thinking of that Sanderson line, journey before destination, right? Like, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's important to to enjoy the process and, and get something out of the process itself as, as well, yeah. You must, you, must, you must enjoy making continual improvement through repetition of a, or almost like ritualistically of a, of a creative work. Wow, you know, that and... almost sounds like one of these sort of current like things that could be in KSPD. <laughs> it is, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a, a sort of pseudo, pseudo Japanese concept called right. Kaizen is uh-huh. what it's called. And it's literally what it is. It's just the concept of getting really good at something by doing yeah. it a lot. Fine. Uh, I like... t- I'd take a lot of pleasure in that. That's like one of my big things I'm, I'm really into. So cool. All right. Um, I'd like to do some rapid fire questions about KSPD law. Let's go. Uh, feel free to answer these as cryptically as you want or say no Great. comment or wait and see or whatever, right? Done. As you want. Done. Okay. okay. What is royalty? Uh, it's it's sort of a pseudo-enlightenment state. Oh, I didn't expect uh, to get such a clear answer to that. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, okay. it, but, but, but a lot of enlightenment is like, is like uh, phrased as someone reaches a higher state of being which they then remain at, right? But royalty in KSPD is a state in which you are aware of your struggle and outside of the struggle at the same time. You're struggling and you're also not struggling. That's that's kind of the, the state of it. It's like, okay, I'm I'm aware of what I'm doing now, but I'm still doing it. 
interesting. And, interesting. If, and if I stopped doing it, I would no longer be royal. Does anyone in the comic have royalty? Yeah, Zos. Zos. Who's the, the sort of king of creation. Is he's the only one? Character. Uh, Metty as well. Cool, who is cool. The, swords, the swordswoman who lives in a barrel. I feel like I'm really getting a scoop here, but it's, okay, it's good. If you're if you're like an old like decrepit ass like swordsman or something, and you smoke a pipe, and maybe you're like a wine grandma, you're probably royal. <laughs> cool. Um, is there a third kind of fire? Uh, no, there's only two. Okay. But like everything else in the setting, like who's to say, right? <laughs> That's why I asked the question. I just thought it's kind of an interesting. Nothing is axiomatic in KSVD, right? I okay. mean, the, the whole, the whole setting, the whole, the whole sort of mythology is based on paradox. It's all right? to play so, for. Yeah. If you say, if you say anything like firm or axiomatic in KSVD, you're probably wrong. <laughs> okay, cool. I like that you've written that into the lore itself. That's cool. Yeah. Um, what is a demon? Oh, de demons are, uh, so, so like, to, to summarize the sort of creation myth very quickly, there are four types of, like, fundamental beings, which is influenced heavily by, um, uh, heavily by Islam, actually. Because mm -hmm. in, in, in Islam, there are men, uh, angels, God, and jinn, right? Mm -hmm. um, is, is, is sort of how Islam classifies things. Um, anyway, in, in the KSPD universe, there are people demons uh angels and and uh, servants who who are all like filling different roles and and basically the two primordial gods who were like you know positive and negative you know masculinity femininity action and inaction hot and cold you know diverse forces uh the remnants of them formed different types of beings so like the the god of like k of like a stillness and cold and stuff formed angels for example and the goddess of, of chaos and fertility and death one well, of death actually she's the goddess of life life and like cancer and all sort of shit she, she her sort of primordial essence forms people and also uh demons but but demons unlike uh the other three um servants are kind of like you know mythological creatures angels are angels people are people they, they were all made by the gods right in some way but but demons were considered you know too dangerous. So of course it was people that made them. Uh, they uh, basically pulled their uh, essence out of out of another dimension, out of another world, basically, and made it into something that we can talk to and relate to by putting a mask on it. And so all demons are this like uh, primordial chaos that has been masked and, and named by people. So this kind of summoned. And so they can become beings we can talk to and interact with, but they're made out of this like ancient primordial chaos stuff. So beneath the mask, they're kind of uh, kind of like Lovecraftian almost. <laughs> okay, I'm kind of surprised by your answer to this because I wasn't sure if there was a distinction between demon and devil. Oh, uh, oh, sure. Oh, right, right, right. Well, I mean, they're used interchangeably. I, th I think I'd, I, what I really mean is devil. <laughs> Kill Sixpillion demons is like demon is like a catch-all term for evil evil creature, but uh, okay. And really, the term should be devil, but they used to change to be in English. So I think I fucked up by, <laughs> by 
by doing I should have I should have called them something else like fiend or something. <laughs> really interesting, very interesting. Okay. Um because I've seen some theories around around that specifically, devil oh, sure, and demon. Sure. So uh, that's going to be interesting. All right, is Allison god? No. Oh, great. A, Just a straight no. answer. <laughs> no. Well, well, you know and yes, right? If you believe in the yeah. KSPD uh, cosmology, everything is god. Okay. It's all just, it's all isn't all the way down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. There's, a, um, there's an oversoul, you know, okay. fundamental essence of life is fire and fire is isn't. Is Zoss still alive? Uh, yes and no. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> I'll leave that there. Um, is Zoss Zaid? Uh, that, that's, that's an interesting fan theory and we'll see how that, uh, that bears fruit in the long term. Cool, cool. I actually love re- I love reading about people's people's uh, speculation about Zoss because I've been purposely cagey about like his whole deal, where he comes from, and yeah. all that stuff. So, and and, and as you as you uh, may have learned by reading the comic, there's all kinds of like weird shenanigans with space time going on right now. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you'll find out. Cool. Uh, has all this happened before? Slash, will all this happen again? Yes. Oh, just an unabashed yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the comic awesome. says as much. Yeah. Yeah. I will say on a meta level, you can, of course, read the comic again. <laughs> no, true. I mean, it, it's also kind of a reference to my, my frustration with the staleness of Hero's journey stories. Mm-hmm. The main antagonist of KSPD is somebody who is keeping the world in a perpetual Hero's journey story ah, in okay. the hope that it will turn out right this time. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Um, can the wheel be broken? Yes. Brilliant. Okay. That's, that's all my questions. Uh, fan <laughs> theories abound. Uh, enjoy that. <laughs> Take what you will. The, the, if, if the final book gets split into two, so the, the last one is called a uh, breaker of infinities, mm-hmm. uh, the, the book five in print, if it gets split, split into two books, as I imagine it will be, it'll be breaker of infinities and wheel smashing King. Oh, fantastic. That's brilliant. <laughs> okay, awesome. And then uh, something we sort of uh, uh, talked about a little earlier, or saw a sneak yeah. peek of, what's next after KSPD? Well, KSPD is going to take me a while to finish. I think there's probably like two or three more years of comic left in it. So uh, I got a ways to go. Um, but I'm definitely hungering to tell other stories, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you, you get confident enough in your work and you're like, I really want to do something else. God, please let me do something else in my life. <laughs> um, I, I'm sick of getting attached to writing decisions and work that I was like, you know, nine years old or whatever. I'm like, uh, I, I get how you know George feels, or Pat Rothfuss, or yes. any of these manga dudes who've been doing the same shonen for like 20 years, right? Yeah. Like, it's you just get you're like, oh, I want to see this to its conclusion, but also, I've been doing this for like almost a decade, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I really want to just. Do something where I can I can write it from the perspective I have now, where I think I'm a better writer and a better artist and stuff. And so I have I have a couple of ideas. Um, I, I probably almost certainly will do a short comic between this one and the next one. Mm-hmm. And that short comic is about uh, someone who is a courier in the sort of near future hypercapitalistic hellscape mm-hmm. but in a way it's um it's kind of a optimistic and a pessimistic story at the same time and it's and it's very character focused i'd say it's a short story okay and it has a short story sort of tone and conclusion 
Um, it's a boy meets girl story, kind of, as well. It's okay. sort of like a little cutesy kind of romance thing. But there's like some dark undertones to it. Uh, and uh, yeah, that, that's what I'm going to do. It's sort of vaguely cyberpunky. That's That's kind of what we're doing now. Will you produce that online like you... Uh, mm-hmm. I will, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'll be... I imagine that'll be under 200 pages for sure. So that'll, that'll okay. be achievable. Um, and the next one after that will be one or two stories. I'm leaning towards one of them, but I always change my mind on this. So, sure. so one story I'll give you the elevator pitch for, which yeah. is, yeah, we, I, I, let me just give you the spiel. So sure. the first, this, this comic opens up on a, a prehistoric desert plain in France. And, uh, we kind of we kind of uh, slowly see a, uh, a a gathering of like sort of uh, early humans, and they're all gathered around a, a, a plinth of rock, and it's sort of this like you know prehistoric like everyone's a you know Australopithecus or whatever, uh, and on this rock is seated a modern human in like a lotus pose. And they're dressed like, you know, very pseudo futuristically. And then over the plains, we see another modern human looking figure approaching. And this person pulls out a spear made of blackness. And uh, the two of them fight. And this, this person that approaches slays the first one and just completely annihilates them. This, this, this goddess that's like sitting on this rock. Uh, and all these, all these like prehumans, like going crazy, and then uh, the the wanderer um, touches one of these prehumans on the forehead, and uh, this this prehuman like evolves and changes into like uh, basically like a Neanderthal, and th- then they speak and they're like, "Holy shit, <laughs> what, what the fuck's going on?" And the wanderer is like. So I've just elevated you to a level of intelligence where you can talk with me. Um, so I'm God, and you need to come with me because we need to protect the space-time continuum <laughs> from manipulation from by my kin. Okay. <laughs> wow. So it's going to start out at least in prehistory. Yeah, it's it's got time travel in it, um, and it's oh, it's wow. about it's cool. about God and a caveman or a cave woman actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, traveling through time to protect the space-time continuum, I think, is sort of the the vague uh, pitch I would give. What a delicious sneak peek. I cannot <laughs> wait to see it. Uh, I guess that'll be a few years away, but I, I look forward to it. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's a lot more um, com- complex than that, though, obviously. Sure, sure. Um, for example, one of the things this guy says early on um, is, I'm about to do some things that, that someone... Uh, I, I am I am above morality, mm-hmm. and you are in many ways a pure being because you have no experience with this. So your role in this is to actually judge me. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff like this. That's cool. That's cool. Um, <laughs> Sounds very like, science fictiony. Right. Uh, which um, would be an interesting change from uh, the current yes. setting and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's more of a science fiction story. It's a little more con- constrained in scope, also I think, than KSPD. And a little more serious in tone, I think. I think both these projects are. So I'm kind of, I'm interested to see how people will receive them because they're, they're definitely maybe a little bit less accessible than sure. KSPD is. Um, the other one is, um, 
a retelling of the unification of Japan. Oh. Which is a really, really interesting story. But like historical fiction? Yeah, except here's the thing. I, 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 that story's been told many ways, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's also been told through lots of like Japanese media and, and retold, and it's like a really common story over there. I don't want to retread it, and I also don't want to be appropriative, right? I like the story, and also I like the story as I have interpreted it through reading about it through, uh, through literature fiction and nonfiction and through historical record and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't necessarily like the actual like straight historical record, but I like the shape of the story as it exists in my head and my interpretation of it. I think it's really, really interesting. Um, it's very Game of Thronesy almost. Right. Uh, in the same way that like George R. R. Martin was heavily influenced by War of the Roses when mm-hmm. writing um, uh, Game of Thrones. So, and, and also, it's not going to be in a Japanese setting. I'm going to set it in a, uh, a fantasy setting, in like a medieval European fantasy setting, mm-hmm. uh, with a few exceptions. But it's still going to be the same, you know, retelling of uh, Japan. I might even give the characters Japanese names, mm-hmm. but it'll be the setting, the aesthetic will, will be medieval European. Interesting. Um, so, um, so that's, uh, or, or it'll be some, you know, some unique fantasy thing low fantasy definitely um with uh with much more of a very a very political plot right uh with multiple protagonists and you know uh if you know anything about that story you'll know that it's quote-unquote main characters don't fare so well yeah yeah. (laughs) um so to tell something a little a lot more grounded uh but but also drawing on a story that i really like that's a real historical event real historical story but Mm -hmm. but but literally leaning into like this is my kind of like interpretation of these events um, yeah. and, and is not trying to be a, an authentic retelling of it because I think that could edge into some weird, like appropriative uh, ground that I don't want to, sure. to hit. Um, so yeah, r- real like dark fantasy, berserk, almost yeah. pol- political war drama. Awesome. That uh, also sounds really interesting. And, and yeah. again, a kind of a departure from, from KSPD, which is the, yeah. be really cool to see. I think yeah. I think the uh, Golden Age uh, Berserk arc is probably oh God, the closest. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah I, I kind of love just how long the Golden Age arc is, and then it just goes, you know, how crazy it gets after. Yeah, it goes crazy. Because you but really I, get to know all those characters. That, well, I don't want to spoil Berserk. Read Berserk yeah. if you're outright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love yeah. how low fantasy it is. Yeah. Like, really grounded, it's, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so that that's that's sort of the other work I'm going to be doing. One of, awesome. one of those two projects after this little uh, short comic. Okay, great. Well, um, Tom, thanks so much for uh, for yeah, no on the podcast. I really appreciate. It. I mean, honestly, I could have talked to you for several hours more, and <laughs> maybe you'll agree to come on again, and we can talk about yeah, uh, more sure. of this stuff in depth because. There totally. were so many little rabbit holes there that I thought was so interesting, and I'd, I'd love to talk about more. Oh, cool! I, I hope people are engaged, and uh, I'm sorry for rambling for, for so no, long. No, that's so. what the podcast is about. So the, <laughs> the ramble is very much appreciated. Good. Okay, I try to be as focused as possible. I know sometimes people find it interesting, yeah. but uh, I, I always get nervous when I when I'm talking for long periods of time. Well, as far as I'm concerned, that's the point of this. I, I want to let uh, the creators Great. spill their guts out and, and let let people uh, see everything. All right. Um, is there anything, I mean, everyone, uh, you should already know by now, I told you at the, uh, at the top of the podcast, uh, go and read the comic, kel6billiondemons.com. Is there anything else specific you want to plug? 
Yeah, totally. Um, I have a, a role-playing game called uh, Lancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lancer RPG. You can find it at lancerrpg.com or massivepress.com. Uh, my publishing company is called Massive Press. I'm putting out some other stuff, including a uh, fantasy RPG uh, at some point. <laughs> It'll probably be a couple of years, but uh, pay attention to that spot for all my future RPG work. Um, if you enjoy playing role-playing games, I uh, like Max, you may enjoy Lancer. If you'd like a... Uh, non-colonized more Final fantasy S experience, fantasy game experience watch out for the game I'm going to put out there uh, for testing in like a year or so <laughs> uh, yeah, check it out lancerrpg.com, masspress.com also uh, Massive Press on itch.io, which is our storefront awesome, thanks so much again Tom and uh, mm-hmm. thanks for listening everyone sweet, thanks David Hey, 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 don't go anywhere. I told you to stick around till after the interview because I was going to give you extra information about things. Thanks for listening to that. Uh, if you listened to that all in one go, good job. Um, maybe you went for a very long walk or something. Wasn't that interview great? It was fantastic. I really enjoyed just listening to it again in the edit, uh, honestly. I normally aim for about an hour's length with these podcasts, but this one was just so interesting to me and I didn't feel like I could cut uh, a lot of it out. So I left it all in and hopefully you guys um, will enjoy that as much as I enjoyed doing it. Uh, Okay, so I mentioned my web serial in this chat. If you want to check it out and uh, maybe you'll be interested if you like KSBD, it's... uh, you know, similarly sort of action fantasy oriented. It's called Breaking Hell and you can find it online and read it at breakinghell.wordpress.com. Uh, it's coming out right now in regular-ish installments, so I'll, I'll be thrilled if you check it out and uh, you can let me know what you think of it. Uh, you can find me and all my socials um, at davidwhitechapel.com. I'm also dwhitechapel on Twitter. Okay, the reason I really wanted to talk to you after the interview is this. I want to know what you want from a podcast like this. So when I started this uh, podcast, I started it actually early 2020 and then it kind of got delayed because of the pandemic and everything. Um, The idea was to have a discussion format around various SFF and writing related topics. And then later I uh, maneuvered into more of a kind of interview format where I've uh, been lucky enough to have several interviews with creators that I thought were really interesting. And I'd like to keep doing that interview format. Um, So first of all, if you're a creator or you know of a creator who'd be suitable for um, an interview on this pod, I'm looking for people who are like up and coming indie creators who have interesting sort of different takes and um, have an interesting sort of developmental history and how they got into it and what they're doing now. So feel free to contact me, let me know about such creators, or maybe you are such a creator yourself, please get in touch. I'm also interested in what else you'd like to see from a podcast like this that talks about uh, sci-fi and fantasy behind the curtain stuff. I've had some other ideas of, of interesting topics like deconstructing popular movies or books obviously continuing to talk to authors and creators but if you have any ideas or or, or thoughts about where the podcast could go let me know you can get in touch with the podcast at paynopodcast at gmail.com or uh, you can get in touch with me directly i'm on twitter d whitechapel i'm on other social media david whitechapel uh, or d whitechapel on various things so please feel free to get in touch with your thoughts i'm really interested in keeping this uh, pod going as a kind of uh, space to talk about behind the scenes stuff um, for creators in, in, in up and coming SFF. All right, I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. I won't take any more of your time. 
see you in the next episode I, i'm hopeful it will be another fantastic interview with another amazing creator thanks so much again see you next time <laughs>